Today is April 23rd. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chestako Maaki. Hi, my name is Red Thunderwoman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson. I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. South of the imposed US Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands were signed in 1877 with Treaty 7. And those signatories include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Wesley Chiniki Nations of the Stony, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Metis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been kind to me on my Red Road journey. Uh, Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot. Mokinstis is Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me great privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says I'm Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian. I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Quintotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I always encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share what I know as I walk down my red road. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments and your questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for all the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And with that, I'm really super excited to tell you all about my friend Cass that I met today. Uh, Cass, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi there. Um, my name is Cassandra Potorichko, and I'm joining you also from Blackfoot Territory here in Lethbridge, which I have the privilege of being on. I thank the stewards of the land, um, the Blackfoot people, for taking care of it and keeping it as preserved as they can so that I can sit here and have this conversation with you. Yeah. Um, I worked for the lawyer that started the Indian residential school lawsuit, um, Anthony Merchant in his son's office in Calgary. Um, I also worked in First Nation politics for a lot of my life. Um, I have three First Nation children. One is Casca Dene from up north near the Northwest Territories border and my twin boys who are much older, they're 27. They are Ojibwe from Alderville First Nation out east. Mm. Oh, cool. Well, I'm so grateful that you joined me today. So, and you know, it's interesting, uh, some of the things that happen in my life every single day that just, you know, bring me to a moment like this. So last night, um, just to give everybody context, I was sent a message telling me about um a facebook group that had claims to be a historical group for bridgeland community association or something to that nature and they posted this really racist reason why oh langevin uh school name change shouldn't happen and we should keep the name and i was so outraged at what they had said their original post was so erroneously racist i couldn't even believe it and then they actually, I don't understand it. Like it's so clear and I've tried to engage with these folks before and they so clearly are committed to misunderstanding. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is. So it's really unfortunate. So I put out a video rebuttal of why it is they were wrong. And um, 
you know, that I put that out there for folks to watch and, and that's how we came to be connected actually. It's because you had seen that video and then you had messaged me and told me some interesting things and I'm like, wow. So then we had a phone call conversation where like, I need you on my podcast. So I was wondering, what would you like to share with our listeners? Oh, there's so much. I don't even know where to start. Um, regarding Langevin School, I I have had my own experience with them personally. I My sons went to that school in the early 2000s and they were First Nation. And it, for two years, the school, well, about a year and a half, like they hounded me. Um, they wanted to get my sons tested and diagnosed. They said they had behavior problems. Um, they wanted an educational assessment and they wanted to give them a code so they could get special help. But my sons, there was nothing wrong with them. I mean, I had been their mother all of this time and I, I fought them on it. I was like, no, there's nothing wrong with them for a year and a half until they started threatening me with children's services. Um, they literally threatened me. They will take my sons away if I don't do this. So fine, I gave in and um, they had a, a specialist evaluate my sons and uh, it came out that oh they have um ADD and uh conduct disorder and oppositional defiance disorder crazy because I never saw any of that and it had been me and them this whole time raising yeah. them yeah. so they coded them and um from what I understood that code was so that they could get you know, special funds to help them. But there was no help that they received. My sons spent their days in a classroom, like not in the classroom, actually in a desk in the hallway. Um, they were bullied, obviously. They were um, separated from their, their schoolmates. They were excluded. It was a terrible experience for them. And they were scapegoated. They were scapegoated a lot, blamed for things that they didn't do. It was always a fight, always a fight. And so we ended up can, moving. Can I just mention unconscious bias? You know, people don't think they're racist, but they labeled indigenous kids a certain way. They were always blaming them for problems. They called them, you know, whatever, oppositional to authority, defiant, whatever. Well, if someone is constantly demeaning you, you know, like it, it's just so painfully obvious. This was like their unconscious bias, or I, I just call it racism. I don't know why we have fancy terms for their racist bias, but that's clearly what it was. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's almost like they, they painted the picture and set the stage for this, right? So um, we ended up moving from Calgary up to Yukon, and um, I was enrolling them into school there and they wanted the school files and I didn't want that file to follow my sons there was nothing wrong with them so I ended up getting an assessment done I paid out of my own pocket to get an assessment by an expert there and they were dyslexic that was there was no ADHD there was no conduct disorder there was no op there was nothing they were dyslexic so, you know, if they had all of these things wrong with them and I had to give them medication, like they got in touch with my doctor, like they sent children's welfare to my house. Like it was very, and I was scared, you know, I did what I, I did what I had to do. Like it was just me and them. Anyways, I ended up getting them assessed when we got to Yukon and there was nothing wrong with them whatsoever. So if they actually had this assessment in Calgary with the Board of Education at Langevin School. How, how did they miss dyslexia and how did they come up with this whole list of other things, right? Racial bias. <laughs> and so, you know, throughout my career working in politics, I learned that um, First Nation children who are status, there's a price tag on their head. So for every service that is provided for them, whether it's provided for them through a school or through children's service agency, whatever, they receive funding from the provincial government as well as the federal government. So it's big money, right? Yeah. 
And with these educational codes, and I don't know if they do that anymore, um, it was like the more difficult the code was, like it was kind of graded, mm -hmm. the more difficult it was, the more money they could claim funding for. Yep. So, But it's I, not I, like the quality of their education ever increased. Well, there wasn't a quality of it. Like what education they, they out in the hallway, <laughs> literally. And I, I wanted answers. And to this day, 17 years late, and I thought I phoned, I wanted, who is, who, who was this person that assessed them? What did you do with the money you collected for my sons? All of these things still have not returned my call. Their school file magically disappeared. And you know, I didn't even think about it. Like all of this time, so many years later, and I'm a grandma now, those children have children until I'm reading this post about that Langevin school and ooh, all those feelings came back to me. Like it just happened yesterday. Yeah. And it's unbelievable too. I myself, I'm a Jewish person, right? So just, uh, it's, it's, it's incredible to make this comparison, but you know, genocide is genocide. There is no degree of genocide. It either is or it isn't. And so what happened with First Nation people and what continues to happen, it's genocide and the effects of genocide, much like what happened with Jewish people. It's no different. So we have Langevin School and uh, Mr. Langevin, he was an architect of genocide. So I don't understand how we live in a society today where, I mean, it's fine. We're going to fight about getting this name changed, but you don't see Hitler Elementary School anywhere. I, you know, where is that school? It would be atrocious. It would just, it, it's mind boggling, right? Like that you would never see that, right? But we have First Nation children going to Langevin School. I, as a Jewish child, would not want to go to Hitler. Hitler in elementary, right? No. So how is it different? It's not. And it's incredible the way this, this is not so bad somehow. Like there is no gray area here. That name needs to be changed. And oh, absolutely. And, and I'm so glad that you have the courage to say that because, you know, I tell people, oh, in Canada, Hitler won because everybody's just okay with the Indian Act and genocide against Indigenous people and this injustice. Like to my face, it's public record. They have um, the school trustees being like, eh, Indigenous kids, what's the big deal? We, this is a systemic problem. It's gonna take decades to change. So they just are really okay with writing off Indigenous kids today in 2021, not seeing their personal role in this, not seeing how the importance, like the zero concept of what reconciliation is, zero concept of racism, and just perfectly okay with perpetuating racism on Indigenous kids. And not just Indigenous kids, but they're teaching racism to in, like non-native kids that's who yes. they're teaching it to it's like hey it's okay for for there to be an indian act it's okay for there to be genocide and it's really okay to glorify the person who perpetuated the genocide in the first place so yeah we're all on board and we're elected officials and like i i mean our our survivors already sued the government so what do we have to do now do we have to sue the school board in order for them to do what is so easy to do like, I don't understand this. I don't understand it either. Um, with all of, I can't remember if it was 86 or 96 recommendations that came from the Truth and Reconciliation. 94. Mission. Was it 94? I'm sorry. 94 calls to action. Yeah. Okay. So with all of those, and, and these didn't just come out yesterday either. I mean, they've been around for a while. In 2017, they changed the name of the Langevin Bridge to Reconciliation reconciliation bridge i think so you know this isn't just like a new development the school has had a lot of time to get on this and other schools across canada have been working at this it's taking them between six to nine months to get it done i've been looking at some schools right so i mean what is what's what's holding them back like a policy thing I was reading an article where oh, we, we don't have a procedure. Well, it took me two minutes to find a procedure for changing the name of a school, which has been you know used as a guideline for the other schools across Canada. 
right. literally asked a school trustee candidate, would you just draft, um, you know, a policy and just give it to them and just let them put their name on it? Would you do that? And uh, so that's kind of where we're at, because I mean, I could do it, but I'm not the one running for school trustee, unlike other people. And we are definitely making this an election issue since they won't do it. Like, I mean, they should be changing it today. Like that they shouldn't let it go another second longer, but they are, and not just are, but are digging their heels in because I almost guarantee these people who put out this racist, racist post are actually probably backed by some of those school trustees. Like, oh, I don't want to do work. So in order to not do the work, how do we possibly change this? You know, and, and it's just, it's appalling. It's appalling. Their, their record on what they do to Indigenous kids is bad enough, let alone what they're like just getting away with blatant racism. Like it's so easy. This is such like an easy example of systemic racism. This is Absolutely. the low hanging fruit. This isn't even the structural changes that are needed of anti-racism practices to be implemented from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I mean, they have a whole section on education and it is very clear these folks have zero concept of what it is that they are signed up to do when they claim they're all, all for community. So it's not enough we have stolen land. It's not enough that we have survivors of Indian residential schools. It's not enough that they have to put up with racism every day and all these barriers. But now they have school trustees who have no concept of any of this. Mm -hmm. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I was looking through uh, the CBE's policies today, just online, uh, for something to do. <laughs> and, you know, there are three big things is um, kids come first. So the kids come first. What kids come first? Non-Indigenous <laughs> kids and, and to teach them to be racist. Like, really? And this is, this is how we got to where we are. Oppressing the First Nation children, shaming them. And all the other kids that are not First Nation, letting them watch us do that so they learn because children are sponges. Yep. <laughs> so they're, they're learning how to be racist. Way to go, adults. Way to go. Yeah, right. And there's there are First Nation children that go to Langevin school. Yeah. So, like, can you imagine how they must feel going to that school? Like, there a lot of these kids are probably suffering from the effects of residential school, they may not have gone, their parents may not have gone, but intergenerational trauma is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. And here they are, you know, voiceless, faceless, shoved to the back, you know, and, but kids come first. That is the first, that's the first thing that's written on the CVE's policy on their website. It looks good. Learning is our central purpose. I mean, what, what, what are they teaching though? What are they learning? They're not open to learning. This dialogue has been presented to them how many times in how many different ways? I, a puppet show maybe, maybe is what is required because what other words can reach them, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, and then uh, public education serves the common good. Mm -hmm. So, and look at, look at the public education that is being put forth when the organization that is like backing them is just like putting out tons of false information. Oh, Langevin was only mentioned once in the, you know. Oh, we lost you. One second here. One second. The volume is cut out. All right, you're back. I think we missed your entire what you said there. Sorry. Oh, great. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yep. <laughs> okay. So uh, where did I leave off? So we were talking about what was in the CVE policy. And you were talking about um, the second part of this, where it so clearly states that, you know, they're supposed to um, educate the public. And yet, well, and both the people who put out that racist post as well as the CBE, they're, they're just not, you know, putting out the information about truth and reconciliation. Like they, I think they just don't get it. Like it, it's, um, it's so, you know, when we talk about ignorant, 
I think people think that a lot of times it's deliberate. And in a lot of ways, this is deliberate. But it's that ignorance of, you know, I actually haven't read the thousands of pages on the TRC. So I really don't understand the grasp of it. And because I have zero um, families that are Indigenous, I have zero understanding of it. So they have no empathy, like zero empathy for Indigenous kids, for Indigenous families, and definitely for the Indian residential school experience, like zero empathy. It's, it's so painfully clear in all of the public videos that are out there from the CBE and then the interactions with this one particular organization. So it, it's really, it's a reflection of our society. Because if you were to read like last week that uh, George um, Floyd, verdict came out and what came from that was very clearly a lack of empathy from so many folks across the way like there are still people defending the cop and saying and calling the the victim who was murdered by the cop the, somehow a criminal and like that's just racist like there's no nice way to put it right and and i feel like it's very similar here just that lack of empathy that's on full display for the rest of the world to see everybody in Calgary is okay with this lack of empathy towards Indigenous. And I just... And no shame. No shame. No nope. shame. It's just, it's absolute ignorance from, mm -hmm. from the deepest core. And it's hard to believe that we live in a society like that today, mm -hmm. all of these years later, after so much has been disclosed. I mean, working at Merchant Law, I, my job was to write down the stories, write down what happened for the clients, for their ADRs. And I heard things I, I can never, ever unhear. Like, I, I still yeah. think about it sometimes, you know? Yeah. And an apology, like, what does that, the apology is nothing, you know? Yeah. And the same people that are, are spouting this crap about, oh, Langevin wasn't so bad, whatever. They're the same people that are standing there telling First Nation people to get over it, right? So, but how can they get over it? Reconciliation needs to happen. It's not just a word. Yeah. It's, it's not just a concept. It needs to happen. We keep victimizing First Nation people by doing this, mm -hmm. by not making the changes, by being so blatantly ignorant. It will never get better. So not with uh, folks in power, you know, it's really interesting because um, so uh, you, you, we don't, we just met today. So one of the things that I used to do was put a lot of effort into community building. And um, it's been really interesting, no matter how much time and effort you put into it, that unconscious bias doesn't allow people to like absorb information. So I can literally say the same things to the same people 15 times and they won't hear it. No, they will it's as new to them the 15th time as it was the third time as it was the first time and at a certain point you just realize you're just wasting your time and the irony is the reason why i was in these circles to begin with is because people would say to me oh how come there aren't more indigenous people um or even diversity at you know at like say community association meetings or other uh community meetings and i always joked i said well how are you indigenous inclusive okay let's do land acknowledgement teachings let's you know talk about she and her pronouns let's talk about um you know inappropriate questions to talk to people about their culture let's talk let, let's do anti-racism training and it still was in one ear and out the other and they don't know and why on earth after reading that post would i as an indigenous person or even a person of color like go oh yeah this is the association I want to be associated with you know in my podcast I always talk about how people have to implement TRC through every single club everything every organization all the schools all the everything and I they just don't get it like it goes in one ear and out the other we're on like I don't know episode 130 something and I say this every single podcast this has been free available information I've had a free book club and we're about to have our fifth year anniversary here in the city of Calgary. And people are still like, though they don't get TRC. Wow. That's where we're at. It's <laughs> deliberate, blatant ignorance, as you said, no shame. 
And I think that part of that is that colonization, colonialism, it's like so it's everywhere. It's like everywhere you look, it's in everybody. It's like we need to decolonize ourselves, right? I think part of part of the problem is like I think if a lot of people really acknowledged the depth of how bad things are and how bad things were and how much needs to be done, they would they would have to change their whole their whole basis of belief because everybody benefits from colonialism, colonization, but the First Nation people. No, no First Nation person is benefiting from all of the services that are out there to help them. Th those services, they're just built to keep that door revolving. There is nothing substantial, you know, and, and that's where truth and reconciliation comes in because everything that we're seeing, it's so token. It's, it means nothing but it looks pretty on paper. And that is why we're faced with the problems that we're facing and they're not going away. People are getting more brazen in their ignorance and more brazen in their hatred. I fear for my son, I had to pull him out of school last year because he was getting very racist comments thrown at him, my little sweetest little boy in the world. And the principal had the nerve to say, are you sure that happened? Perhaps he's making it up. Um, no, you know, no, he's not like my, I'm pretty sure my son's not going to come home and say, you know, just for no reason, mom, the kids at school called me a dirty Indian. <laughs> you know, that kids just don't make that up, right? So, and the principal was unwilling to even take action until I pulled him out of school and I made a stink and I wouldn't bring them back until I met with the entire school board and plans were in place. But, and we need to start doing this and holding accountability sessions. Like I, I want to talk to this, these trustees and, oh, they said that they're working on it. Where are they at? Where's the timeline? Do they have a timeline? Where are they at in their working on it process? No, they don't care. They haven't this. cared. I mean, I, I was telling um, Cass for folks who were listening, like I was telling her, I remember when I was running for municipal politics and I met with the school trustees and we talked about Langevin and you can tell the moment you're with someone, whether or not they have um, that unconscious bias, just by the way they dismiss you. And I knew that right then and there. I knew that from talking to some of them. And it, it was, it's like, okay, so these people are not safe. So can the school function with, within that leadership and then put my daughter in it? No, clearly it's not the case at all. Um, you know, she actually was on a CBC national um, article talking about the bullying within the school system. And then three teachers actually pulled her aside and talk to her when that came out about how she needs to come to them. And if from that moment on, I have never seen such a switch in this daughter, in my, in my daughter. She used to be teacher's pet. You know, it was disappointing when she didn't make the uh, teams, but there was no other, you know, stuff to do when it came to, um, you know, extracurricular activities. It was just, she didn't get in band. Like it was just, it was it was one of the worst experiences actually for our entire family so uh when she she actually prayed for uh her to not go to school anymore and then the pandemic happened and i felt really stupid as her mother that i just didn't pull her from school sooner because it was clear like there was one day she showed up for school and the gym teacher marked her as absent even though sam came home and told me about a conversation they had and so obviously they just didn't care about her in any capacity. And as a mother, how do I send my daughter to a place where I know they just don't give a flying fuck about her? So I just, I couldn't, couldn't send her there anymore. And I was disappointed in myself that we didn't pull her sooner, but it was an awful experience for her. And I will never recommend the CBE for any child. And what the worst part is, is that, you know, I believe in public education. So I want to see positive, um, 
not just curriculums, but atmosphere, safe atmospheres, not in the atmospheres that in are not just uh, create learning, but thriving. I loved school. And now my daughter hates school. Great. Thanks a lot. Like, and, and that's part of their stupid mandates. And they have, well, I didn't get a chance to tell you, but they have a, like this committee, it's called, uh, I don't know, CBE cares or something. And it's supposed to be anti-racism and all of that, but yet they just won't seem to get in contact with our committee. And we've reached out to them and we can't seem to get anywhere with it. And it's just, when, when my daughter went on that CBC article nationally, it was because the CBE put out a study and they interviewed all of the teachers and all of the um, adults that work within the CBE, and they all came to the conclusion there's no such thing as bullying. They never talked to a teacher or a student. They never talked to a family. It was just decided arbitrarily that they have no bullying. So of course, this came out nationally as an issue because all the school boards across the country basically are these gatekeepers that you know, don't are deliberate in keeping out that information so that these kids are still going to these schools that are causing trauma and harm to them. So, you know, that that was why she spoke out like she she was hearing gay slurs in the hallways and uh, it really was upsetting to her. So this was why they felt the need to talk to her. And then when I went to talk to them, this this lady says to me, one of the teachers was like, well you know we keep these kids out of gangs and i'm like wow so you teach at the school deliberately thinking that anyone who doesn't look exactly like you must be somehow a gang affiliated child like how dare you how dare you talk like that and especially about my child like she had such a great experience at um the previous school that we were at that unfortunately the UCP was okay with letting be bought and sold and if it's its own story, I tried to save that school, but apparently for not. And um, anyway, that's where we're at. Like, you know, I, I'm at the point now where I'm like, okay, maybe I need to make a homeschool curriculum and start a homeschool board for indigenous kids. <laughs> There's no options out there, you know? So we're, we're enrolled with a homeschooling board for now and um you know just go from there well i can say that i did homeschool my son for quite some time like a year when covid came out and i was very happy to send him back to school <laughs> i'm not a teacher those teachers so there is a special calling and i didn't answer the phone for <laughs> ones that treat them kind yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know but I'll, I'll say too, like adding on to that bullying thing though, I literally, I just watched a video on Facebook and it was somewhere in Alberta, I didn't look, but it was like this fight, somebody had recorded it and there's kids, like they must've been about 36 of them on one kid. And the kid was, I don't know if he was black or brown, he was a person of color. And um, I, I couldn't even watch it, I couldn't, it was just like, this is happening. I, I am so afraid for my son. You know, when he he's right now, he's only in grade four. What's going to happen when he's, you know, up there in grade eight, grade nine, grade 10, you know, when the, the, the system that we have now, the society, it's literally laying the groundwork for all kinds of problems for First Nation children, for, for Black children, for East Indian children, for trans like all of these you know like it's totally like it's it's laying out the framework to keep the oppression going but just you know finding different ways to do it more more socially acceptable ways if you will like it, it's, it's more it's getting more covert you know and and I think like a lot of people don't really look that deeply into it they're like oh what's in a name you know you you can't you can't run from the past you can't erase it just leave it you know and it's like yeah no you can't do that you can't change the past but we can't keep the people that the past oppressed prisoners in the past and that is what's happening now by not changing these schools by by allowing the bullying and your daughter like that was just another method of silencing and shaming it's a little different than how they they did it back then 
but it is still the same effect. That child felt shame, exclusion, penalized, and she suffered consequences for being a truth teller. Yep. So, and that's a huge problem, especially with like First Nation women. That's why you don't see a lot of them. Well, now you do, you see more of them rising up and coming into power, but you know, First Nation women truth tellers, they've always been punished and penalized and faced such consequences. There you go, you know, to be silenced and just, it's, it's got to change. And if yeah. it doesn't, we're just going to keep repeating the same things. Yeah, obviously. And honestly, like, because you're Jewish, I, I was hoping that we could talk a little bit about the rise of hate. Um, I actually have a, a dash cam video of two, I don't know, drunk 19-ish kids doing a Nazi salute. And that was the same day that the Confederate flag went up in Union, Union Cemetery here in Calgary. Um, I went to, I went to a, an anti-racism rally in January, not last January, but the one before that, because there was a lot of, a, a lot of hatred for Muslim people here in Lethbridge. It's, it's a very hateful town. And I was, I was standing on the side of the road with all of these people that I never knew, but they were all fighting for the good, you know, fighting to like against racism to be accepted and honestly um like i i i heard that neo nazis existed but i never saw i never experienced that and the two in my town drove by in this rally and said we're going to throw you in the oven bitch I shit you not. And I, you know, I, I still, it, it hurts to talk about it. When my family, my grandmother and her siblings came to Canada, they hid with Hutterites outside of Manitoba right before World War II happened. And um, I, I didn't, I grew up not even knowing a lot of who I was. They lived in shame. They changed their names. There was so much of the culture that they didn't practice. And, you know, it, it took a lot of work to find out who my family was, who their real names were, DNA tests. Like I, I did a lot of work. And then, you know, here we are in Lethbridge, like how many years after World War II ended, and I, I, I don't mean to keep ripping on this town, but it's a hateful town and people here are just real proud of their hates. Yeah. But to actually, there literally are Nazis. There. There's Nazis out there like doing that, that salute. And it's, I can't believe it. I can't. I know. So where do I even start with this? So my, I, I um, moved to Sylvan Lake and in Sylvan Lake down uh, south of there is a little town called Caroline. And during the 80s, they used to have neo-Nazi rallies. And there was this Jewish Holocaust survivor that had the biggest fucking balls on the planet and would go out there in his concentration camp uh, uniform and protest it by himself. Like, that's, that's ballsy, man. I um, have the deepest respect for that. And I didn't understand it at the time. And the irony is my, like my, I found out from my dad just recently that my grandfather served in World War II and fought Nazis, he even got a purple heart. I'm like, so why aren't, why doesn't every single person in our family know this story, dad? I mean, I just inherently know Nazis are bad. I mean, I grew up on Wonder Woman propaganda. So, you know, like I just, I knew Nazis were bad. I knew every September 11th or uh, November 11th, we acknowledged the Remembrance Day, the World War One and Two. My dad was insane about like having military books and, and we, he would always go to the Century Box just to get models and make models. And we would talk endlessly about all sorts of things. One of my favorite books, what he got me was like the Dreadnought. Um, uh, so it was a class of ship in the First World War. It was like the original warship and 
So, you know, I was a sea cadet and I thought that was super cool and I read it and I loved it. And I like, I'm a total nerd. I'm a total nerd and I know way too much about world wars, but the irony is not the next generations don't, and I don't understand that. So I don't understand how, how anyone glorifies Nazis. I don't understand how anybody would feel confident to do a Nazi salute. Somebody pointed out, you know, Nazi salutes are actually illegal in Germany. And I've had a friend, her name, uh, their name is Nan, uh, Natalie, and they've been on this podcast twice talking about, you know, the in Germany, how against nationalism they are. And then they teach their children that because of, you know, they, they really understood reconciliation with the Jewish population, with that bigger picture of, you know, we don't um, glorify Hitler, we don't glorify that. We, in fact, the opposite, you try to not do that. Now, I have another friend who's Roma and she wants to come on the podcast and we want to talk about how crappy Germany still is. But I mean, at least it's part of their legislation and their reconciliation as opposed to in Canada where like, yeah, I, I totally agree. I've seen like this white and privileged t-shirt line coming out of Lethbridge. But I mean, I'm in Calgary where the school trustees are proudly like, no, Langevin's great. Why would we change it? And uh, who cares about indigenous kids failing in the system? who cares? And then, you know, growing up in Sylvan Lake and they literally burn crosses just in Caroline. Like the, like being racist is a proud Alberta trait. And to this day, like you still see Confederate flags as license plates, stickers on, on trucks and, and rape symbols on the back of trucks. Like it's disgusting living here how proud people are to be oppressive. And I would even say like back to blatant ignorance, when you talk about uh, what we're seeing with the COVID-19, we willingly know uh, migrants with no human rights, according to under Canadian laws, uh, seniors who are in these places of, uh, you know, lodges, these are the people dying of COVID. And we're just like, what blatant? you know, oppression, what blatant eugenics that we still, you know, obviously practice within our healthcare system and our policies and our government. I mean, you know, the fact that so many teachers have COVID and so many students have COVID, like I, I cannot wrap my brain around the lack of understanding of why the vaccines need to go to anybody who works in the school system, <laughs> to all the teachers, like, I, I can't believe we have to have this conversation and I can't believe we have such poor leadership, but it's not just poor leadership. It's a reflection of uh, eugenics and it's a um, reflection of oppression in every level. Like the, he was, the, our premier today was the former immigration um, minister federally who set up the policies that basically allow, you know, modern day slavery with migrants. Like, this is fundamentally wrong. This is true. And adding to that, um, our premier, he was asked to apologize. Can you hear me? Okay, good. So he was actually asked to apologize for Canada's role in the British home children tragedy. Like that was a whole thing too. Like children were literally trafficked on in. And to this day, he still has not. Where the other countries involved have. We also did uh, a whole thing uh, right before World War I started with Ukrainian immigrants. And I'm, my family were Ashkenazi Jew. We are from Galicia, which is the part in the Ukraine where all the Jewish people, we, we survived, I don't know how, but anyways, um, in Canada, right before the world, the war broke out, the government rounded up all of the Ukrainians that were here, you know, and threw them all into to like internment camps where they they did slave labor many of them died many of them died you know and when the war was over they let them out but they had already taken everything they owned their homesteads they had nothing to, and and no way to get back there right so and then when uh i think it was Diefenbaker when he got in he literally destroyed all of the records so I mean, Canada is really only admitting to 14 of these camps, but there's closer to 24 of them, but no records. So, you know, 
it's ridiculous. And we, we just keep in finding more ways to keep doing this over and over again. It's not as blatant as it was, but it still is happening the same things over and over again. Well, and I, I think it's important you brought all of that up because we've been talking about uh, my next guest. She was talking about the Alberta curriculum, the new draft that they put out. That's just ridiculous. And this is part of the reason why I don't mind pulling my daughter from school because it's unprogramming the falsehoods that they teach, but also actually trying to give her real education about some of the oppression that, you know, that has been experienced here. Um, and by the way, so my dad is from Yorkton, Saskatchewan. And there was a lot of Ukrainians in that area. So um, there, there's so many roots to talk about Ukrainian and Jewish connection here in the in the uh, prairies. And it's yeah. just back to the, you know, migration policies that they had at the time in order mm -hmm. to cultivate the land and start, you know, extracting resources from Indigenous. So and um, and it's awful because I think like our, our people always welcomed people with the best of intentions and taught them how to live here. And well, like, I mean, nobody wants to leave their ancestral lands, nobody. So oh. I, I have always had an understanding with refugees differently than most people, because my dad on his side, we're actually uh, from all the way from the Mayflower, if you can believe it. So um, oh. now that we're going to be moving, actually, this is the first time I told anybody on my podcast, but we're going to be moving. And I'm going to, once we get settled, going to focus on trying to unpack and get the paperwork needed to show all that because um i'm sad to say it takes a lot of paperwork to prove all of these things i hate it uh but it was uh, during the first and second wave of ukrainian immigration so you know the government was giving out these lands it's not like they were choice pieces of property <laughs> they were hard it was full of rocks and the dirt was crap you couldn't grow nothing so, you know, in, in the first couple of years, Ukrainian people, they were, they were having a hard time, you know, mm -hmm. like it was the native people and the Métis people in the area, especially back in Manitoba specifically, because this is where my family came when they settled. I, I, I feel like we, as people that are like me, for example, I am, I'm, I'm a settler, I guess, you know, pretty, so, it's uncomfortable, but this is not supposed to be comfortable, right? We owe a lot to the First Nation people, and it and it's embarrassing. I find myself so embarrassed, like by the things that are going on, and, and we're here on stolen land. So many people, like it's like they don't understand the treaties. Don't even get me started on that. Like <laughs> you tune into Facebook any day of the week, and you'll see like these idiots being like. Oh, the free education, the free money, oh, the free healthcare. That is a longstanding issue because I've been told I get a free university education that I've never gotten. And that's a myth that's perpetuated so much out there. And when mm -hmm. it comes to healthcare, like I'm just going to give a shout out. We just had Corey Ashley on our, my podcast and his wife, Lillian Ashley, died in Hannah, Alberta at Christmas time because of a lack of healthcare. Joyce Eshaquant, like this is in multiple reports, including the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. There's a whole section on health. Like for, for people to say in our face, oh, you guys get free this and free that. And it's like, mm, I don't think when you understand. And, and that's clear even in their own stupidity of colonial politics, they don't understand transfer payments. They don't understand, you know, funding that municipalities get. Like it's just so blatantly ignorant, oh, the shit is. they throw at us. And it just doesn't it just make you like nobody can literally be that stupid, especially like <laughs> when you take the time to lay it out for them, you draw the pictures, you put it in its lowest common denominator, and they're still like free yeah. money though, free schooling, what get over it, right? And it's like it's not free education unless you want to learn how to clean. Here's the free education. It's like you could learn how to clean hotel rooms and get a job in the hospitality industry. It's not like you can just go to any college and, and learn to be a doctor or a lawyer. That's, it's, it's not, it looks like maybe, but no, that's not how it really is. And even when you tell people this, it's it just- They're I don't committed know. to racism. That's the problem. They're just committed so to racism. 
And, um, you know, like you were saying, it's uncomfortable calling yourself a seller, but at the end of the day, like, that's the point is that it's so uncomfortable for them. They just can't have that hard conversation and they get into this cycle of white fragility and then it's amplified by other people. Right. And then they call indigenous, you know, hostile and ang angry and such. And it's like, mm, yeah. how interesting that that's what you think how like mm -hmm. after you've gotten your free land after you've gotten all of these opportunities yeah. at the oppression of other people how how nice of you to say that yeah. mm -hmm. well and and mentioning white privilege to to racists it's like throwing holy water on somebody that's possessed like i know right and it's you know like i'm not ashamed to say like i I recognize the privilege that I have, you know, and it's like, it's like the people that are like really benefiting from that oppression, they have a real hard time, like spending that privilege on things that really matter, you know, like well, not the BIPOC community. I, you know, the fact is the people that are putting their effort towards writing letters to the Calgary Board of Education for to keep the Langevin school name like that effort is the effort they should be putting into reading the truth and reconciliation. That is the effort they should be putting into engaging with indigenous people. That is the effort that they should be putting into doing positive, constructive things. But instead they're so committed to racism that they're writing to their school trustees to say, hey, can we still uphold the white supremacist system and uh, continue to perpetuate trauma and genocide on indigenous kids? Let's do that. Let let like I totally want to be on that side, and that's what they sound like to me. So absolutely, yeah. Uh, like even reading what this the historical Bridgeland Society, like I I could I I could not even get through your. I think your it was a six minute show that you did. Was it six minutes? Maybe. Yeah, that sounds about right. I just did a I rebuttal got, video. I don't know how long yeah, it was. That one. Yeah. Yeah. I. I got halfway through it and I literally I had to take a break and shut my computer because I was so angry like I can't believe this this society which I mean they're out there it's Bridgeland the things that they had said and it's like any idiot knows this is literally not true like it's not true and the wording and the tone that was like a whole mood right and no shame no shame I, I I just don't understand how you could be like that and and I'm pretty sure somebody has told them along the way someday on a Wednesday on a Friday I don't know hey we don't we don't say those words hey the name is bad because this happened you know it's it's probably not a new memo that's being circulated now so how can they like what are they thinking about themselves at night? Like, I don't get it. I don't I get it. I know. And it's, it's pretty bad. You know, um, I really appreciate you being like really ex enthusiastic actually about helping us in any capacity. So just going to put, plug it out there for people who have never heard before. You know, we have a Facebook group for folks that are committed to being a part of the committee of doing something positive. Um, there are people in there who I think are just there to like, you know, be supportive, but I'm not going to lie. Um, people who don't do act are not allies. It's really that simple. Uh, we have a Facebook page on the pin post is the petition. So, and, and we don't have to do a petition. It's actually insulting that to have anyone suggest we have to do it because we have thousands of pages that and millions of dollars that have been paid out to tell everybody in Canada this was wrong and we shouldn't have to do a petition like it should literally be seen as part of every sports organization community association historical society whatever it is your job to look at your organization and institute anti-racism practices and indigenous education and if you're fighting for racism and genocide, you are part of the problem, a hundred percent. Nicest Full way to say stop. it. Absolutely. And you shouldn't. That's the thing. Why are we still here where it's like <laughs> I don't know. 
I'm, I'm going to finish my close out here and uh, I encourage you to pipe in if you hear anything that you um, you know want to elaborate on. Um, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions, including cultural safety training, cultural first aid in every one of them to create a safer place for Indigenous people, people of color, those with disabilities, LGBTQ2 plus to speak. I want to say thank you to authors uh, Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Frintkin for heretohelp.bc.ca for what is Indigenous culture, cultural safety and why I should care about it. Uh, their work are like cultural action tools. I've said over 100 times in my podcast, so please support work that is a part of your reconciliation work and settler understanding. So I'm just lucky enough to highlight it and repeat it here. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized folks experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. So you can go to Donna Bevins has uh, racialequitytools.org and has what is internalized racism. Thank you for doing that work. Uh, if you were to go to the American Friends Service Committee, they have um, resources of do's and don'ts for bystander intervention from that moment that you actually see somebody saying something absolutely awful to my friend Cass, like, oh, you should go into an oven. Um, or if you see a person with a hijab getting ripped off, these are things what you should be doing. If you see or experience racism, report it to Act to End Racism or text at 587-506-3838. Indigenous have been sharing our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words, honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized with their budget with gender equity plus if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services indigenous education uterus health choices gay straight alliances have a lack of human rights for migrants immigrants folks with disabilities or you know don't support child care know that your vote for those people directly negatively impact marginalized people demand that they implement the truth and reconciliation commission calls to action the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports on child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational and health institutions, as well as the justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and policies and politicians they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism. They have zero business running. Should be understood by all parties, local uh, politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, historical societies. A really great article I said out loud is Truth Before Truth. How non-Indigenous Canadians become allies. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about and want to talk, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3300. It is or three three one zero. It is toll free, open twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. You can also text at hopeforwellness.ca for more assistance for missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two spirit. You can call eight four 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 one three six six four nine. It is national toll free crisis call uh, for non Indigenous. You have distress centers usually functioning two one ones or for uh, toll free twenty four seven. Um, information, you can call 833-456-4566. If you see or experience racism, and to act racism or text at 587-506-3838. And there, I want to give a shout out to lifevoice.ca for multiple LGBTQ2 plus crisis supports from peer support to youth support to kids help phone. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it and continue to face it. That's why I started this podcast to speak freely, without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinions, but sure want to tell us theirs. Usually we have people who know nothing about Indigenous colonialism, the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights, typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, people who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo, and people who are in their trauma, stopping people from doing the good work and depleting res uh, resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. 
want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, my aunts, my uncles, of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots, and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I am a second generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to my husband Darcy for producing and editing this show. He's been my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road, and has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. To our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of trying to discuss these present day issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian that where you can pledge and support. Thank you to previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening or, or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel where you can subscribe and you can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And I wanna end by giving side-eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. And my beautiful cousin would respond or you'd be in my dish. Thank you for listening. And thanks for being on my show, Cass.